Hello, and welcome back to the Crow's Nest podcast. In today's episode, I will be talking to my good friend and fellow author of cyberpunk, fantasy, and alternative history novels, A.K. Alice. We'll be chatting about his books, writing, and what inspires him creatively. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, Adam. Oh, thanks, Steve. Nice to see you. And you. So we first connected back in 2016 when you contacted me for a review for your soon-to-be-published cyberpunk novel, Frame, which became the first novel in the Arubra Cycle series. Now, that wasn't actually the first book you wrote in this series, though, was it? No, look, I, I wrote a novel called Futures Orphans, which was my second novel uh, after A False History. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd started with The Futures Orphans, which was kind of just, it started in the middle of a, um, of a situation where the world had kind of progressed into a, into a um, condition that was less than ideal. So it was a little bit dystopian, but yeah. Um, but basically people were struggling on and and making do as best they could. And yeah, that was, it was, it was sort of centered around a, a conspiracy theory type mystery um, with a journalist investigating this, this big overarching mystery. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was kind of my first, first novel out the gate. And at the time of writing Futures Orphans, did you have any idea it was going to become a series of books? Or at the time, was it just the book you wanted to write that developed as a narrative over time? Yeah, look, um, I didn't didn't even know that I'd write uh, two books, let alone um, the seven that I've written now, you know, but it's, um, but I think it's like anything, right? You know, like I... I wanted to write a self-contained story. Um, so it was kind of by itself, but as I was writing it, I became really interested in the world and how the world came to be and and how the characters in it came to be where they were. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to write another book with the same characters. I just wanted to kind of write more in the world and more, and, and I really like the idea of stories that you can just pick up and read from start to finish and that's it. And that's, there might be some kind of cross-reference in other books, you know, maybe a little nod or a or a sort of a cameo or something like that. But but I really like these books that are that are sort of self-contained narratives and but but they're part of a larger story. And and that's what it became. Brilliant. So with frame, obviously it it deals with I guess the idea of social media and the rise of of social media celebrities. Um what was it that that kind of spurred you on to write from that narrative angle of of the cyber world rather than any other? Well, I think that's an entry point, right? You know, like I think now the way that we interact with technologies is very is very social. Um, you know, like we're talking now um, via podcast, and you know, it's all about the human condition, right? You know, um, people want to become famous or they are famous or um, they don't necessarily want to become famous, but they want to connect with other people. And I, I think it's really interesting that we've got immense capability through technology and 
the primary way that we use it is to connect with other people on a really personal level. So that really interested me. And, and I, and I wanted to explore that idea of um, the human and the technology side by side. And the most natural, I guess, way to explore that is through social media. From there, obviously it developed into the, the trilogy with, I believe it was gravity's truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you've kind of expanded the sci-fi to merge into sci-fi fantasy, I suppose, with uh, All the Dead Stars. Yep. So was that intended to be a natural follow-on to the series, or was it an opportunity for you to kind of cut your teeth with fantasy without diving headfirst into hard fantasy? I think I think um, fantasy is... You know, like science, if you had a, if you took science um, and propelled it back in time to a period where there was no science, then a lot of the time it might be perceived as magic or witchcraft or sorcery or something like that. And so I wanted to take that idea that there was a fairly, uh, you know, um, not as advanced civilization that came into contact with technology and I also really love Star Wars as well. And there's a little bit of that crossover in Star Wars with the idea of Jedi Knights and, you know, um, Sith Lords and, and you know, the Force and the dark and the light side of the Force. But there's also that technology kind of interface with spaceships and that kind of thing. So I took that idea that it would be really cool if this book was either set sometime in the future of the Arubra cycle or it was or it was kind of in parallel to the Aruba cycle, but it had nothing to do with that story at all. It was just sort of like a separate thing where this was um, an opportunity for like a, a society that had built its magic system or its sorcery around um, coming into contact with an advanced technology. So it was kind of like leveraging off that idea that science is only um, science when we understand it and we have knowledge of it. But if you don't have that, you take it and you transform it into something else, you know, so you might, you might have an idea of what it is and what it can do, but you don't fully understand it. So, and I think that's kind of a hu- human thing again, right? Like we take these, these things that we come across, these ideas and these, these sciences that we come across. And sometimes we just, launch ourselves into using them without actually fully fully understanding what the impact's going to be. Um, So there was that idea as well, you know, and, and then I was able to lean into this more fantasy elements of it, which was kind of like swords and, you know, um, beasts and um, cultures and, you know, uh, the, the geographical element of it. I'm a big fan of fantasy maps. And so, so there was a lot of, a lot of, maybe not so much that it was my comfort zone, but the fact that for me, it felt like a really good opportunity to explore um, introducing and developing a magic system around science. So that's quite an interesting idea that you've almost, by sticking to your comfort zone, almost of sci-fi and science and tech, yet fusing the idea that every time a new technological advance has come around, the people of the time have potentially been wary of it because they don't understand it it's almost sorcery to the uninitiated anyway 
So it almost sounds like you've you've created magic through a lack of understanding of this technology that's allowed you to build a fancy world out of science and technology. Mm. Well, I mean, that's a major plot point of the book. You know, the the wizards in the story, you know, they get persecuted by a by a fairly non um scientific and and very kind of um, militaristic sort of society that that is hell-bent on expansion and they see this um order of kind of people that have used come into contact with this technology but somehow turned it into magic um they see it as a threat and so they want to extinguish it and that's a that's a major plot point in the story you know that that there's two camps, you know, there's those people that want to explore it and enhance it and, and leverage off it. And then there's also those, that side that doesn't understand it and wants to eradicate it. And, you know, we see that on a daily basis. There's, there's a lot of division in society around people that have one set of ideals and people that have another set of ideals. And often they don't meet in the middle and, and the results are sometimes catastrophic. <laughs> And so with this book, there's definitely a, a feeling of an opportunity to explore and expand this world that you've already begun to build. Is there any view, um, any potential from your side to expand on it? Will it become a series or for the time being, is it a standalone book and you'll revisit it in the future? Maybe, maybe not. Well, I kind of left it on a cliffhanger. I mean, there is definitely a feel at the end of the book that it's heading in a in a larger story and part of a larger story. So I'd definitely love to go back to that, um, that story. I mean, I think, you know, as a writer yourself, you, you'd probably be aware that sometimes it's a case of not so much not having enough ideas, but having too many ideas and wanting to explore too many ideas. And that can be a risk in itself because you, you get sidetracked so often that you just don't sit down and do the work because you, your mind is, not focused on the task at hand and it's not focused on completing the story. Um, you know, that's what happened in that case. I finished the book and I left it open-ended and I fully intended to make my next book a, a sequel. However, an opportunity came up just through virtue of the fact that I was kind of mulling over an idea of an old history setting where I uh, was set in the 1960s and that really captured my imagination and, and, it, and it actually became a really burning kind of desire for me to get those words down the page. And that, that became my last book, Jimmy Dean's last dance. So, you know, so that's sometimes what happens. You, you have all the best intentions in the world of continuing a story and, you know, joining those characters again in their adventure. But unfortunately a bigger idea comes along that you want to lean into and, and develop and explore. And, and that's what happened. And, and I was really, you know, um, fortunate in that that story actually turned out to be a really, really good story. It's been quite well received. And, you know, it was it was actually um, really fun to write as well. Um, fun to write a story that wasn't set in the future and it wasn't a fantasy and it wasn't cyberpunk. It wasn't, you know, science fantasy. It was just kind of old history. And, and I got a, an opportunity to live in a different version of 1962 where I'd grown up with this, you know, my dad kind of um, giving me this passion for anything from the 1960s. And I, I really liked that. And, um, and so that gave me that opportunity to, to lean into that.
Brilliant. And that kind of brings things along quite nicely. Um, so I, I obviously remember talking to you about um, how you had plans to do a second uh, novel in, in your fantasy world um, until the idea struck you uh, for something else that really captured your imagination. Now, I, I can only sympathise with that. That, as you know, is what happened with me, starting out writing historical fiction around Jack the Ripper, putting all my time and effort into the research for it, only for a completely different out of left field idea to come and smack you full force in the face so hard you cannot not do something with it so as you mentioned jimmy dean's last dance a huge departure from the the science fiction sci-fi fantasy realms you kind of become accustomed to writing in and to an extent i guess become known for writing in to writing something very loosely based on history with your own twist to the narrative and to the known facts using well-known people. So can you tell us a little more about Jimmy Dean's Last Dance? Well, I had this idea. Um, I wrote a very, very short um, kind of scene where um, James Dean is getting the living crap beaten out of him by two uh, mafia goons. And, um, and it all came about, um, I, I'm a big fan of this um, artist called Edward Hopper and he he has a famous painting called Nighthawks but there's also a um, an alternative version of the painting um, you know the original painting is some unknown figures in a diner late at night seated around but there's this alternative version called I think it's Boulevard of Broken Dreams it's not by Hopper it's just kind of a bustization of the of the picture but um but it's got James Dean, Humphrey Bogart, Elvis Presley, and Marilyn Monroe in it. So I had this idea based on that. I was like, well, I wrote this scene with James Dean getting beaten up. And I was like, well, why is James Dean getting beaten up? And then it struck me that this was James Dean, but it was actually a different James Dean to the one that we know. It wasn't James Dean. It was Jimmy Dean. And Jimmy Dean is... Um, is an alternative history version of James Dean where he ha- he never became famous. He, he never died in a car crash. He's a bit of a um, down-in-his-luck bit part actor um, and he has run afoul of um, of the mafia because he's, he's um, friends with Marilyn Monroe. And, uh, and so the story started really building itself around that idea that, James Dean was Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean was not famous. Jimmy Dean was actually investigating the death of his friend who he felt was had been murdered and not and had not committed suicide. Um, he was friends also with Elvis Presley, who was also not famous and had, and was just a truck driver in Mississippi. Um, but both of them had a bit of a shady past where they'd worked running um, running drugs over the border from Mexico. Um, and, um, it was this kind of counterculture on the early sixties on the, on the cusp of, you know, um, the, the counterculture kind of feel of the times where everything was changing and that fit in really nicely with this alternative history setting as well, where things weren't as they seemed things, you know, some things were exactly as they were, other things had taken a slight twist and were, and were slightly different. So I had this idea that. Um, 
they would join up because James Dean was a bit more intellectual. Elvis was a bit more rough and tumble. And, you know, together they would work brains and brawn to um, to um, solve the mystery of Marilyn Monroe's death. Um, and, it you know, it kind of trans it transmorphed into this kind of conspiracy theory um, with JFK involved in the mob and all the, and the CIA and all these other things. And it, and it was just, it just grabbed me, you know, it just really, really grabbed me that I had an opportunity to write a book set in the sixties. That was kind of a noir detective novel with two people that were quite pop popular icons, which kind of, ties in with frame where it's about celebrity, you know, so there's a little bit of crossover from my previous works. Um, and I think that's a through, a through current um, in all of my books, you know, the idea of fame and what do you do when you're not famous anymore? Or what do you do when you're, you're close to fame, but you, but you don't want it or you're, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit of a, now I think about it and as I'm answering the question, it's kind of, it's just occurred to me that that's kind of like a theme that runs through, not just the technology, not just the, the cyberpunk and everything, but also that idea of, um, you know, how being notorious can have a real impact on your life. So. And obviously Jimmy and, and Elvis get themselves into plenty of scrapes and messes along the way throughout the book, um, mm. some intentional and some they kind of haphazardly fall into. So is there any potential view that there may be some more adventures for the, the, the hapless pair further down the road in a future book? Or do you have any potential ideas or desires to do more alt history using completely different celebrities potentially in an alternative version of the worlds they are known to inhabit. Yeah. So look, I've started working on a, on a second book um, in the series. It's um, <clears throat> taking a bit of a uh, bit of time because I've got some uh, real world commitments that have kind of bled in to the scene, but, um, but it's around Hunter S Thompson and, and again, Elvis Presley kind of investigating um, the CIA MK Ultra project, which is all about mind control, but it's kind of set um in the 70s this time, and it's like an alt alt history version of the 70s. So loosely that's kind of the idea, and and that's where I've where I've kind of landed with that story. And do you think you could see yourself creating kind of an expanded universe out of this where you you look at completely different subsets of celebrities in different parts of the world? Or do you is your passion for this tied to the sort of the Elvis the 60s 70s the 50s that kind of window of time and space I, I don't know to be honest I mean it's a good question I I um you know anything's possible I kind of it, it's really it's really interesting because I, I guess from from where I sit, I, I like to write about what I'm interested in. I'm really interested in um, in all the things that have happened in the world that we don't see on a daily basis. You know, there's a lot of decision-making at higher levels. There's a lot of, um, you know, not to sound too tinfoil hat kind of, but, um, but I think that we go through our lives 
a lot of the time and a lot of the decisions that are made, we don't even know about, you know, and that's really what I write about as well. You know, like all those decisions that happen in the background behind the scenes. And we don't know, you know, like we, we don't know what happens and we only know what we, what we read about, or if we're of a curious persuasion, we'll dig into and we'll try and find out the truth. But again, that's, only what we can read and that's only a certain perspective so is it factual is it not factual is it you know um and i think somewhere in the middle lies fiction right you've got this amazing opportunity as a writer to explore worlds and characters and not just famous characters or or alternative versions of famous characters but you know just regular people kind of falling into the middle of these situations where they become exposed to the the underlying matter and DNA of the world and what what makes our world our world, you know? So you make quite an interesting point there early on in, in that last answer where you mentioned that you write about what you're interested in. So as an author overall, do you write what you think the readers want what you think the market wants or do you write the book you yourself would like to read first and foremost and if others then enjoy that brilliant but ultimately you're writing what you would want to read yourself uh look i i probably much to the dismay of um publishers and and you know people that have partnered with that kind of want that commercial success, which is, which is great. You know, I'm not, not going to lie. I, I would love it as well, but um, I, I'm, I don't write to market. I don't write, you know, generally what I think is the popular trending genre or whatever at the moment. Um, I write what I love, you know, I, and what I love is the fact that um, all, all of the books that I've written in some way, shape or form are loosely connected um, by this through this very kind of delicate strand. And what I really love is the fact that I get to explore so many different worlds through that strand, you know? So, you know, I've got this idea and, and it's kind of part of the Arubris cycle um, mythology for want of a better word, is that, um, you know, the in the Arubris cycle, each of the stories happen in a different strand of reality. So it's kind of um, parallel exploring the, theory of parallel universes and and um overarching that is this kind of not malevolent but sort of well-intentioned but completely broken ai called rubris and um it kind of manipulates the strands so as a writer i guess my main mission and my main objective when i'm writing the story is what strand am i going to find myself in this book you know and it might be an alternative version of 1962 it might be a another planet where a, an arubarous spaceship has crashed and lain dormant for 800 years and bled into the dna of the world and caused magic to exist or it might be um you know a cyberpunk narrative kind of speculative fiction world where you know there's a massive conspiracy to cover up the existence of arubarous and to, you know, to use the different strands as a kind of a test environment for averting disaster, but it's gone gone awry. 
Um, and even, you know, with a false history, I kind of wrote that as a sort of an alternative version of my life, um, you know, spinning on things that had happened to me, but kind of twisting them a little bit to make them slightly more um, exciting or, or a little bit more adventurous. And I think that that is, um, that's what we do as writers, you know, we take, we take the normal, and we make it extraordinary. And, and that's what I love doing, you know, so if I was to write Jack Reacher or I was to write, you know, something like that, I don't think I'd be being true to myself as a writer, you know, because I feel rightly or wrongly that the writer's job is to write a really compelling story that may or may not attract the reader's interest. Um, but whatever the topic, your job as a writer is to write it well. So that's what I've worked to do. I, and maybe you've seen it, you know, you've reviewed all my books. So that's um that's also a, a boon in, in your camp is that you've probably seen that progression in my writing, you know, over time that I've honed my craft and I've become hopefully a better writer. Um, but, but that's what I aim to do, you know, to tell the, tell the story I want to tell in the, in the best and most concise way possible. And you mentioned something there that kind of put me in mind of something I know we both have a shared interest in books wise, where you mentioned that a rubrus to some extent, greater or lesser, is one of a number of threads that transcends all of your books. Now, this kind of puts me in mind of the Dark Tower series and the wider Stephen King universe, who I know is someone we've both read quite respectably over the years. Mm. And I know there's that thread that connects many of his books that in in on the surface don't look connected until you read The Dark Tower and realise that there's this this hub that pulls the beams, the strands of his universes all into one and that they are all delicately balanced. So it almost struck me where you said there that you've kind of got a rubrus in the middle and then all these little strands, whether they be going out to technology on a planet that's laid dormant or Jimmy Dean in an alternative 1962 or um, the corrupt AI in, in frame and futures orphans and gravity's truth would you say in a way that's been intentionally or subconsciously influenced by king and the way he's constructed his sort of delicately balanced universe or do you think it's a complete coincidence but it, it has elements there that that maybe have seeped into you through his work Oh, a hundred percent. You know, like I really, I love the dark tower. I read the dark tower when I was 13. Um, I didn't understand it. I've actually reread it. Um, you know, as a standalone book, it's really, really bizarre um, because it is kind of like um, a dressing room for the rest of his books. You know, he goes through and there's characters that have appeared in different books. There's um, you know, I think it's uh, Ralph Brodekin, who's like the, the breaker, who escaped from the dark tower. And, you know, I, I love that idea that, um, that there are many, there are many worlds, you know, um, and, and that's probably the core thing that I took away from his writing is that it's his, you know, it's his kind of, um, what do they call it? Um, it it's kind of his, legacy i guess in a way you know like the the 
that he's got this character that is in this main set of stories, but then outside of those stories are books that are just standalone novels and they happen to have some connection. And I can remember the first time, I think it was actually when I read The Talisman or possibly The Talisman, um, which he wrote with Peter Straub. And I love the idea that there was like a flip world that was like an, a, a, you know, an alternate version of the world that Jack Sawyer was living in. But then he's kind of connected that to the Dark Tower as kind of like a thread or a beam of the of the tower. Um, and then I read Hearts and Atlantis, which is short stories, all focused around, you know, particularly um, um, the, the, the main story, Hearts and Atlantis, you know, it was uh, low men in yellow coats. It was basically you know, Ralph Brodekin that was, that had befriended this boy and he had fits and you didn't really know. But then if you had read the dark tower, you knew that he was a breaker and then he appears in the dark tower series. So, um, yeah, I'd say, look, definitely it, you know, you are influenced by your heroes, Stephen King, huge, huge hero for me. Um, just the fact that he's got such a tremendous output. Um, and, I, I love that, you know, and I guess the Rubris cycle is kind of my dark tower, you know, um, in that it, it connects the strands, you know, the, the AI connects the strands and it, and it, and it weaves its way through. And, you know, my next Rubris cycle novel is kind of very, very leaning into that mythology a lot more. Um, Paco, who was in Future's Orphans, is outside of the simulation and he's now kind of traveling in the code in the background and finding his way to the the mountain, which is kind of like the black mountain, which contains all the, all the elements of a And, you know, that that's kind of like something, a, a long gestating story that I've kind of been dipping in and out of, but I haven't really committed to yet, but, you know, there's an idea that I'll tie everything together in that story and kind of have elements where it, dips into all the dead stars and it dips into Jimmy Dean's last dance and it dips into the Arubra cycle and even a false history to a certain extent, you know? So I, yeah, I definitely like that idea that um, Stephen King came up with, with the shared universe. And I, I quite like what you mentioned there about the next Arubra book kind of being something that's going to dip into other books. So it's kind of going to, make it more clear to the reader there is a connection which is something i i kind of it, it sparked a memory in me of of when i first realized stephen king was doing this um for me and i think i think the clues have kind of almost always been there with his work but i particularly remember reading insomnia which was kind of a crazy book when i think about it it didn't lean into the the horror that everyone assumes him to write but I remember the sequence when the three core characters are talking about their collection of bits and pieces that they've collected over the years. And there's bits from, I want to say it's the kid's name, Gage from Pet Cemetery, the hat and the ball and things like that, that you suddenly start to twig. It's harking back to his other books and it, and then the dark tower kind of, I guess, like you say, it's that, that sort of seven or eight book summary of his career where he kind of pulls everything together today and says look everything's been building to this and it all comes together and it sounds like you're kind of 
almost doing your own spin on that idea, which I think is going to be um, quite an interesting one to see where that goes and how it works. Yeah, well, it's kind of, it, you know, just starting to write it, I realised that it's almost bordering on fantasy in itself because it has a very dreamlike quality to it. You know, um, Paco wakes up, he's on the on a black shore, um, you know, which is kind of in Future's Orphans. He dreams about it um, and, you know, he's walking along it, but then it starts to dissolve. And it's that idea of nothing being constant, nothing being what it seems, you know. So it does have this really ethereal kind of quality to it. And I think the element of the story that I want to explore the most is how does someone that's lived their whole life with the hard and straight facts of the world that he he is um, basically developed in suddenly being ripped away and he's presented with this thing that isn't factual. It's kind of shifts and it changes and he has to kind of lean into his resilience to survive it. And and that's sort of the story that I want to tell next in, in the Aruba cycle for sure. So we've kind of gone through your books and and what you've written and and where you're heading so i kind of just to finish now i want to strip things right back and and sort of talk about when did you first realize you wanted to write and not just write i don't know casually but actually write a novel and really go somewhere with it um what was it's actually a really it's quite a personal story um but i think the the thing that made me really want to write was actually my wife Shan. Um, she, or the person I should say, the person that you know. When I I'd started writing a false history a long time ago, but it was more of a journal than anything else. And and I and I had wanted to write something before then, but I didn't think that I could. I didn't think I had the requisite skill. I would always start. I'd get three lines into something and I'd scrap it, and I'd be or a paragraph or something. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not good enough for this. I'm, you know, I can't write this or whatever. And, um, and I remember um, starting to write a false history. And at first it was very kind of jumbled. It wasn't, there wasn't really narrative to it. It was just kind of random thoughts. And, um, and then um, Shan found it found the kind of not manuscript but kind of the writing for want of a better word and she asked me what it was and I said oh it's just something that I've that I started a long time ago I think it was 10 years prior and I'd never written anything else with it and she said well what comes next and I said oh you know what comes next you know we met we got married and all the rest of it and she said but what about all the bits in between you know what 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 about the things that you experienced between when you when you stopped writing and and when we met how did you get to me kind of thing and it was a really interesting question because I was like well maybe that's the story you know because my life has certainly been a lot different um being with Shannon um than how, how it was before and so I came up with this idea that it was a um it was a story that was going to be told in memories and it was going to be told from the earliest thing that I could remember of significance to meeting Shan and, and being with Shan. Um, and so 
I started writing and I would write one memory and then I would write another memory. And what I found was that as I was writing the story, it, it became a story. It became my story, you know, about how I came from who I was to who I am now or who I became when I met Shan. But it was funny when I wrote it because what I found was initially it was like a memory and then a big gap and then another memory and then a big gap. And then as I got closer to the end point of the story, the memories became really super condensed and close together. And it was actually a really um, enlightening way to write because what it did was it 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 showed me that time is really perception based right you know like when you're young because you've only got a certain number of years everything seems longer but as you get older everything becomes more condensed because you know you've got such a broader span of time to cover and so that really helped me with um with writing Futures Orphans, because first of all, when I finished writing The False History, I'd written a book and it was not a big book, probably not the best thing that I've written, even though Shan thinks it is, but you know, because it's, it's about us. Um, but it was raw and it was genuine and it was authentic and it was mine. And it was something that I'd created from nothing, you know, and, or, or created from my life. But, but I'd put the words down on the page and I'd written a book. And so I going into future orphans, I was like, I can do this. I can write, I can write a book. I can write a story. And, you know, as you probably noticed in your own writing, the characters become the characters that become someone else always start with you. They always start with a different facet of your personality. So I was able to write this book because one, I'd written one before, Two, the characters that I was writing were essentially different versions of me, different versions of my personality, um, and also people that I'd met. Um, you know, they informed people that were close to me, that were my friends, that had helped me along my journey. They helped my characters along the journey by becoming other characters. And, and that's how you write a book. You know, you, they say, there's a saying, write what you know. But if you write what you know, then you just end up writing, you know, whatever, some some kind of stock standard story. But if you actually take that sentence and you go, write what you know is actually write what you know, but it doesn't have to be a straightforward story. It can be this really imaginative way out adventure that happens on another planet or it happens in an alternate 1962 or it happens in a cyberpunk universe or whatever you know and and that's basically how I wrote started to become a writer you know I wasn't a writer when I wrote a false history even though I was writing but between then and Jimmy Dean's last dance I I don't now when I say I'm a writer I don't actually cringe and go oh I'm not a writer I go I'm a writer I've written seven books come on you know and I think that very much shows in your work as you say you you kind of feel that a false history isn't necessarily your best work but having read that along with your other works it's certainly probably your most emotional work in terms of the investment you can definitely tell knowing the conversations we've had over the 
better part of the six years we've now known each other um and that i've got to know some more and more about your your past and can kind of see that in the book and i can see that there's that emotion in there and it almost by the the end of the book felt as if i could feel the sense of relief you must have had kind of figuratively typing the end and and finishing the book um and it, it kind of fits with how your your next book's futures orphans frame and so on then feel because it's as if you've done the catharsis with 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 um, a false history and kind of i guess exercise the demons whilst also coming to that realization you can write you've done it um you've kind of got anything that might have been a doubt or a blocker to you out there on the page now why can't you do more why can't you create fiction and as you say six seven books down the road with more in the pipeline it it's clearly worked well for you yeah um you know like it's i know you know you probably felt the same thing when you see your book physically tangibly in front of you with your name on it I know it's such a hard concept to explain to other people, right? But it's validation. It's like, I did this. And you can talk about traditional publishing. You can talk about self-publishing. You can talk about that till the cows come home, right? I don't want to enter into that conversation. But <clears throat> if you have a book physically in your hand, it's got your name on it, it's got your title, it's got the 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 blood sweat and tears that you put into it and it's there you're a writer you've written it you've done it you've you know and no one could take that away from you no one can say you're not a writer you know even if you're not a great writer you're still a writer and that's what i i feel you know and i and i think you you've said it yourself to me in the past you know that the time the first time you held your book in your hand um you know um, chasing shadows you you saw that book and you I, I could see just in talking to you what a relief it was and how proud you were to have actually written a book you know and that's that's such a uh, I don't know it's it's such a it's a thing we should be, both be proud of you know so yeah I, I would agree with that it's it's been a hell of a journey sort of starting out as a, a reviewer and obviously that's how we met um and kind of spending my time essentially telling the world what i thought was good and not good about a book um and an author's writing to actually being on the other end of that and you've kind of seen my development from from my very first outings trying to write uh historical fiction around jack the ripper and the fact i lost my way with it so many times and despite the fact there were bits that certainly yourself and others read and said, there's some real good bits in there. I kind of questioned whether writing was something I could actually do. So I kind of get what you you were saying that at times writing a false history, you're sat there going, do I really have the chops to be a writer? But then, like you say, seeing that first proof copy of Chasing Shadows, it's like you said, you can't really describe it to someone else because I know when I'd ordered my first copy and I was saying to you, oh, how did it feel? What's it like opening that package and and uncovering your book? And you essentially said you can't put it into words because 
it's very personal and I remember just placing it on my coffee table and staring at it for a good half an hour 40 minutes just thinking that there's a book there there's there's pages and words and on the front is my name and that's come from me and I think that's a really great place to kind of end today's episode is just that realization that nothing compares to that moment and I can only imagine it doesn't change whether it's your first book your fifth book your hundredth book each time you open one I can only imagine there's that feeling of that's another book that came from me yeah um look even as recently you know like Jimmy Dean's last dance from my first hardcover so I got hardcover copies and I opened up the package and I pulled out the hardcover copy and I couldn't believe it. I held it in my hands and I, I was like, it's, it's even more tangible because it's a hardcover, you know, it's like, I, 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 I can, it took me back to that moment when I was a kid and I picked up a book for the first time and it was a hardcover book and I was in awe, you know, like writers to me when I was a kid were gods, you know, they, they were gods. They were, they, they, created worlds how you know raymond e feist i read magician and I, I magician was the first fantasy book that i'd ever read and i can still remember the opening scene of the boy dancing amongst the pools in the rocks on the beach and i could cl so clearly see it in my head i could so clearly see it and it was it i could smell the salt in the air and i could and i could feel the rock underneath his feet and i could you know, and for me, when I held Jimmy Dean's last dance in my hands as a hardcover, it took me back to that moment and I opened it up and I was, you know, Mexico, 1957. And I was like, I wrote that and it's there and it's in a hardcover. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's indescribable. You know, it's just, it's just that, that almost like that moment taking you to that place that you thought you would never go. And I think something you said there's really interesting. So that that growing up, you saw writers as gods, and I think that that kind of resonates. It's almost like when you watch a magician as a child, and and you see the Penn and Tellers, the great magicians, the Siegfrieds and Roy's, and you're like, these guys, that they're, they're magic. But even as you get older and you understand how it's done, and you can pull back that curtain. Um, it's still magic and I find that even now with authors even though I now kind of understand more about the magic that goes into creating a book having done it myself it doesn't make the next Stephen King novel any less magical to read because well as he said books are a uniquely portable form of magic and that just there's something about appreciating the craft from the other side and knowing what's gone into making that magic for the rest of the world. Yeah. It, look, each book is a different trick, right? You know, like, and it's, and it's the writer's job to come up with the most amazing trick that you've ever seen that. And I guess going back to my earlier comment, right. Each book becomes a more complex trick because you want to make the reader go, Oh, how did they do that? And that's my goal when I write. So maybe that's actually the thing. You know, it's not that I'm writing, not writing to market. Or I'm not, I want to write the most amazing trick a reader has ever 
beheld and and yeah so so great analogy you know we maybe not gods but magicians you know we we're crafting tricks and different tricks and more unique and more exciting each time and i think that's as good a place as any to end today's episode so thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me today and talk to me about your work and and the craft of writing thanks steve thanks so much for having me on the show my pleasure thanks again to today's guest aka list if you've enjoyed this show please like subscribe and leave a rating wherever you download your podcasts from.